Good morning, everyone. Happy to have you on the chapel live stream. Would you please join us in worship this morning? sing verse 1. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. My fear my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Verse 2. Shame no longer has a place to hide And I am not a captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind No, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. Power in your name. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. Power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. 
kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died sing praise the father praise the morning because you are the king of kings and the lord of lords and your glory your glory is in this place god we thank you that your word says that where there are two or more gathered you are in their midst you are among them lord and we know that you are honored by our praise you are glorified by our praise your kingdom Comes, your kingdom is built and darkness falls, darkness trembles through the praise of your children. 
So we thank you, God. We thank you for the authority that we have in Christ. We thank you for the authority that comes through praise, especially in the storm when we choose to worship you. And I pray, God, that we would remember that, that we would remember the weapons that we have been given, praise and prayer, and that we would use them in this time. We would use them to bless your name, to bless your name. And I pray that as we do that, we would see um, and sense hope rising in our hearts. Our eyes would open to the blessings that we have, to the blessings in this time. There are so many blessings that we have been given in the quiet and being able to be home of our families. God, may we not miss those blessings. And I pray that we would press on, God. We would press on in the unknown. We would charge ahead in the power and the might that comes through praise and prayer. And God, I ask that you would use Pastor Doug this morning mightily to speak um, into each home and to each heart, God. With authority, he would speak life and truth um, that would give us the tools we need to go into this week with praise on our lips. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray, amen. Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us uh, via camera here um, at the chapel. We rejoice. Just a, a few announcements to give you before we look at our passage. First of all, we will be doing a communion service at the end of this uh, message today. So if you want to have a, your cup and your bread handy for that, uh, you want to do that with us, we ju I just wanted to give you a reminder on that. This is the day that we actually, tomorrow is the day we actually remember Memorial Day, those who have died for us in the military. And um, so we just want to, I hope you'll take some time today, if you know any veterans, to thank them for what they've done for us. It's interesting to me, in, in a context of talking about death, though, um, God in his grace shows us life and gives us life. This week two babies were born. Um, on May 21st, my uh, second granddaughter came into the world, Sophie Joy, uh, to my son Matt and Jill, his dear wife. So we rejoice over that. And um, Brad and Kelly had a baby boy this morning at three o'clock in the morning, Samuel Hudson Alliger. So we rejoice uh, with the life that God has brought into the world. Let's have a word of prayer before we turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, that's the passage we'll be looking at today. Father, we rejoice that you are the God of all hope. We, we remember again at this time and thank you, Lord, for those who have died for us in this country um, through the years. And may we not be forgetful of their great sacrifice for us. Father, we rejoice that you're the God of life, for the life that you've brought this week, Lord, even with these young babies, these newborn babies. Father, I would pray for our country. I would pray that you would grant wisdom to our leaders at the federal level, at the state level, the local level. And Father, that we would make wise choices 
courageous choices, uh, choices that honor you. We would continue to pray for our friends and our family, that you would watch over them, that you would protect them, that you would comfort those who have lost loved ones in this difficult time. And Father, help us to be men and women, boys and girls, Christians, that know what it means to go on and not to give up. In Christ's name I pray, amen. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I watched a, a movie entitled 1917. I don't know if anybody here has seen that. Uh, it was, it was, the way it was filmed to me was really quite incredible, but that, that would be another story. But uh, two, two men, two English fighters, uh, soldiers, were asked, I think their names were Blake and Schofield, but they, they, were, they were asked to actually go to the front line and tell one of the companies, English companies, I think there was maybe two battalions, 1,600 people, something like that, and to go and to warn them about a trap by the Germans. And so the whole story was their trip, in particular one of the guys' trip, to actually get there and do that. And what amazed me is everything he went through. And it and, and didn't matter how beaten up he was or what he had experienced or how tired he was. He just kept going in the midst of all that. I, I couldn't help thinking about that story thinking that life can often be that way, can it? I mean, we, we live in a time when we're not only experiencing loss and confusion over this pandemic, but there's, there's other repercussions and consequences from that, aren't there? And, 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 and so we're finding some people who are giving up in deep despair, troubled, suicidal, Christians are not immune to those kinds of things, folks. Christians, too, will feel the weight and, and the pressure of the world around them. And it's easy sometimes just to kind of pull back. Maybe become disheartened in your faith walk with Christ. To lose your passion. To allow the gospel to be central in everything that we do. So we're actually living the gospel out loud. If you find yourself like that as a Christian, just recoiling a bit, uncertain, wondering, questioning, I think you'll find the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to be a great encouragement. For in this passage, we read the story of the Apostle Paul. He's been in ministry about 25 years when he writes this book. And he has faced almost everything imaginable. Just a couple of the things that he's experienced. He's, he's been homeless. He's been hungry. He's been imprisoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been beaten times without number. And on and on and on it goes. He's, he's experienced all of these things. And for anybody to get to the point in their life after 25 years just to say, you know what? I'm pulling back on this Christianity thing. I mean, I'm going to retire from Christianity or, or at least be on the back burner. I mean, if anybody could say that, I would think it would be the Apostle Paul. But that's not what he says in this text. 
He's aware of all the pressures around him. And what you're going to find, walking with, with Christ and seeking to glorify him to further his gospel, he is as vibrant and focused on that at this point in his life as he was at the beginning. And here's my question. What is it that kept Paul focused so that he could go on and not give up in his Christian life? Like, how, how, does, how does that happen? And what you'll find in this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, there are, there are three motivations, if you will, that, that surface from the text, which, which drove Paul and which should drive us as Christians. And, 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 and what, what clearly comes through in all of it is that Paul doesn't give up. Notice for just a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. Notice what he says. I'm reading from the NIV. We do not lose heart. And again, Come down to verse 16 at the end of the chapter. Listen to what Paul says. Listen how the, the verse begins. Chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Do you see? So, so Paul is able to say in the midst of all of the challenges around him, he's focused on Christ and walking with him, and he doesn't lose heart. He doesn't give up. Why, Paul? Three reasons. First reason, it actually goes back into chapter 3, but it's found in the first six verses of chapter 4, is because of God's powerful message. It, it It is the only thing that can change people. At the end of the day, it is the only thing that can bring ultimate hope. I mean, we, we have hope from a lot of things in life. We, we enter into a relationship with someone and that brings us some hope and contentment. But eventually, people die. And is there something that we can hold on to that will bring us ultimate hope? And what it is, is God's glorious message, the gospel which not only saves us, but transforms us. Back in chapter 3, I won't read the whole chapter. I'm going to go back, if I could, just to verse 16 in chapter 3. But in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is comparing and contrasting what we call the Old Covenant under Moses in the Old Testament era with what we call the New Covenant which was initiated at Pentecost because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ with the coming of the Spirit. And he doesn't say that the old covenant was bad. It was glorious, Paul says. It was was necessary. But it wasn't enough. And as great as the glory of the old covenant was, it pales in comparison to the glory of the new covenant. So notice what Paul says in verse 16 of chapter 13, of chapter 3, sorry. But Paul, matter of fact, I'm sorry, let me pick up in verse 12. Therefore, Paul says, since we have such a hope, 
A hope in, 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 in a gospel which is transformative. A gospel which brings intimacy between God and people directly. There's no in-between. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through Moses. You go directly into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Paul, 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 don't be bold. I mean, there's pressure around. There's people that want to kill you. It's hard. There's sickness. Paul says, are you kidding? I've got the gospel. And that changes everything. I'm bold. He says, we are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Moses would cover up his face. It it would show us distance between Moses, between God and the people. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. People hear the Old Testament law, but they're not connecting There's not intimacy with God. There's distance. There's inability to really live differently. It has not been removed because only in Christ can that veil be taken away. How can we live a transformed life? How can we have true intimacy with God? Nobody in between. It's in Christ. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers over their hearts because of the the darkness and the sinfulness of our hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, folks, listen to this, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see what he says? He says, you know what? Paul says, why do I stay at it? Why why do I go through the, the challenges from people, the challenges from circumstances, the challenges from life? Because the message that I hold before me is life-changing. It doesn't speak about distance between God and I. Inability. Ongoing sinfulness and rebellion and no hope. No, 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 no. The veil is taken away. And I can look into the very glory of Christ that is revealed to us in his word. And in doing that... Because I'm empowered by the spirit that God has given me. I can be transformed incrementally from one stage of glory to another. Nothing else in the world can do that but the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why do we stay at it? Even when we can so easily be distracted by other things around us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have God's message. 
And only this message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's died, he buried, resurrected, ascended. He's the Lord of all. He's coming back. He has given us his spirit. Only that message will bring ultimate hope. Look at what he says in the first six verses of chapter 4. I want to just read it and, and just make a few comments. Listen to this. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's terrific. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, chapter 4, verse 1, we don't lose heart. We stay focused. We stay the course. We don't get turned over here or turned over there. Rather, Paul says, we have renounced secret and shameful things. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know what Paul says? You remember that movie that, that w- was really popular a couple years ago, uh, Frozen? And I know there's a Frozen 2 out. I haven't seen it. But the first Frozen, uh, that, that one song on there just went viral, um, Let It Go, yeah, which has a terrible message if you read that thing. You know, it's just, it's pathetic. It's basically saying, you know, do whatever you want to do. Just be who you are. Whatever the consequences, who cares? You got to be who you are. Something like that. It's a terrible message. However, When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what Paul's saying here in chapter 4? Let it go. Don't get in the way. Paul says, I don't distort it. I'm not trying to manipulate with it. I'm not trying to work my side of the street. I just present it plainly to everybody. And then I let it go and I let God's spirit work. Do you know that's liberating? I don't have to manipulate people. I don't have to twist arms. Let God's word do what God's word can do. Let the power of the gospel transform lives. Because it will. Let it go. Get out of the way and see what God does. He goes on to say this in verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. See what Paul's saying? You and I share the gospel with people whose hearts are dark because of their own rebellion whose hearts are dark because the Bible tells us the devil and the hordes of hell do everything they can do to blind those souls to stay in their blindness. And God says, Paul says, you know, if you go back to Genesis, the God who said, let 
the light shine is the one who can shine into their hearts, breaking through what demons do, breaking through the blindness of someone's own sinfulness, and show them the reality of the gospel. And so, let it go. Speak it plainly, openly, honestly. And let that tiger have its way. Because God is the one who shines in the heart. And then when people turn to him, they find forgiveness, they find intimacy, and they find through the Spirit the ability to incrementally begin to change. Folks, don't let anything keep you from that message. Paul, what keeps you going? Paul would say, are you kidding? The glorious message that we have. Okay, okay. Is that it, Paul? Oh, no, 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 no. I want to share something else with you, Paul would say. It's not just this glorious message that we have. It's, It's God's design and plan for us who share it. Now, you might think that the best individuals to share God's gospel would be people that had an IQ off the charts, that were never sick, that were beautiful or handsome and strong and, you know, which would exclude all of us. Now, God's plan is that he will actually work in people's hearts through weak jars of clay. Or what I heard one Howard Hendricks say years ago, through skippy peanut butter jars. You see, if it's all about the skippy peanut butter jar, then guess who gets the glory? The jar or what it contains? Notice what what Paul says here in, in verses 7 to 12. But we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay. Why, Paul? Here it is. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What a neat passage. Paul says, you know, God does his best work through weak vessels. Now, I I don't like that, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't like to be weak. I don't pursue being weak. But the bottom line is we all are. And even in a context when we're feeling pressure and we're saying, I, I just, I, I can't do it on my own. That, that may be the very place 
That is the very place where God wants us. Because in our weakness, he can show forth his power in our lives and use weak vessels to share his gospel with other people and to help other Christians in the process. You know what I love about this passage? He says things like, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. You know what this tells me? God knows just how much pressure you can face, but he doesn't take you beyond what he has designed for you. He doesn't let you be pushed so far that he says, you're, you're useless for me now because you're ruined. That's never the case for a believer. Yes, we are pressed down, but we're not ultimately crushed. God says, whatever I allow into your life, it's that I might work through you, not that I might put you aside. Nothing will keep me, God says, from accomplishing my design for your life as you yield to me, even in your weakness. And so Paul says, people may look at me and say, Paul, you look like the living dead when I see you. I mean, you're beaten up and all these problems and sickness. And, and Paul says, it may look like death when you look at me, but it's life coming through me for the glory of God. Could it be that one of the ways that God wants to use what you are experiencing right now is to show forth his power and glory through you? It's not the time to give up. It's the time to open up to God's power through you. Do you see? Years ago, a poem was written some have even said it was written by a soldier. I don't know for sure. But I want to read it because it captures for me what so many of us experience. The writer says this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I, I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Folks, is that not the hope of the Christian? We don't have to have a perfect life. We don't have to have it all together. I, 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 was, um, I was troubled by something that was written by, um, I don't know if you know the, the name Joel Olstein. Um, and I think it's his newest book out. He says this on page 78. I just want to read it to you. He says, you were born to win. 
You were born for greatness. You were created to be a champion in life. God wants you to live in abundance. God is turning things around in your favor. Now, there's a level of truth to that if you can extend it into eternity, okay? But if you try to tell people living in this world, God wants you to have a healthy, wealthy, perfect life now, that is a curse. And it's also counter to God's plan who wants to take skippy peanut butter jars like us and through us show his power in which he transforms us and uses us to effectively minister in the lives of others. That is God's design. Don Snookian said, and I thought this was really interesting. He said, the thing you most want God to remove from your life I'll fill in the blank on that one, <laughs> okay? Maybe the thing you most need God to keep in your life. Yikes. That's hard, folks. The very thing that I say, God, take it off. Paul will say later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God, I, I prayed time after time about this thorn in the flesh. Take it away. Take it away. And God said, oh, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient. I want to use that weakness in your life to show that when I use you in the life of others, all the praise and all the glory goes to one person. And that is God and God alone. Do you see? So in a world that we feel pressure and, and we're uncertain and, and unemployment is, is, is on the rise and sickness is on the rise and uncertainty is all around us. And I don't know if I have time for the, all this Christian stuff right now. You don't have time for anything else, bro, folks. Because this is the only hope that people have. And your very stance of feeling weak is the very way that God will show forth his power to the world around us. So Paul, what is it that, that keeps you going? Paul would say, it's this glorious message. There's nothing like the gospel. There will never be anything like the gospel. As good as the Old Testament covenant was, and it was, it can't compare to the new covenant. You have the Spirit if you know Jesus Christ. You can come directly into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. It's the message. And Paul says also, remember his plan. His plan is the, in the present is to use weaklings like us. But Paul says one more thing. Paul says, don't just look at God's glorious message powerful message, or, or his present plan. But look at his future promise. It's found for us in verses 13 to 18. Let me read it. I'm going to start there in verse 12, where he said, So then death is at work in us, but life is at, is at work in you. Verse 13. It is written... I believe, therefore, I have spoken. 
That particular passage is from Psalm 116. And one of the things you find in Psalm 116, the psalmist is saying that he's going through all kinds of great difficulties. But in the midst of that, he is absolutely convinced that God is there and God is up to something. And so therefore he says, I can speak openly about what I'm facing with all of my struggles and with all of my difficulties. You know why? Because I believe. I believe that God is here and that God is up to something. So look at what he goes on to say. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Paul says, I'm not afraid to tell you the kind of difficulties I go through. But I want you to know that doesn't stop me at all because I believe in the truth of the gospel and I believe that God is here. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying it's hard right now. All you have to do is read his list in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 11. He gives you a long list of all the difficulties that he's faced. And Paul says, oh yeah, I can openly speak about all that, but I want you to know something. In the midst of all of that, I believe. <clears throat> I believe in a God who is with me now and a God who has made a promise of a resurrection to come where there will be a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies, no more sickness, no more death, none of those things. And God's people will live in perfect harmony forever. Paul says, that's what I believe. And therefore, verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Folks, I want you to think about something in that passage. Look how Paul describes his current troubles. He talks about our light and momentary troubles. Are you kidding me? When you read his list in chapter 4 and chapter 6 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, light and momentary would not be the first adjectives that come to my mind. You know, I want to think heavy, awful, ongoing, endless, stuff like that. You know what Paul does in this passage? I call it the theological uh, weighing of the scales, if you will. You know what Paul does? If you think of my arms up here as kind of a scale. 
Paul goes, puts all of the problems in his life that he's facing, which means you can put all of your problems there too. Everything you're f- facing, everything that gets you discouraged and makes you wonder about Christianity and all of it. Good, stick it, stick it right there, right there, right there. Paul, go read Paul's list in chapter 6 and 11. Put it there. You know what happens to the scale? Bam, like that, right? And you go, man, that's heavy. And Paul doesn't deny in and of itself that it's heavy. You only have to read what he says about it. He'll say in chapter 1 that he despaired of life itself. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Have you ever despaired of life? Paul has. Paul says, now now what I want you to do is on the other side of the scale, I want you to put all the glories of eternity that await God's people. What happens to the scale? I mean, off the charts. So much so that now when he looks at those things, he says, light and temporary, not because they are, are that way in and of themselves, but when you compare them to this, having a hard time doing two things at the same time. But when you compare them to to the wonders of what awaits us, the only way you can explain them is light and momentary. So Paul says, look, Christian, you get discouraged sometimes. Maybe you're discouraged now because of the things you're facing. And you just kind of want to pull back a little bit. It's the worst time to pull back. Because you have God's word, God's message, life-changing message. And what you're experiencing, your weakness, your uncertainty, your frailty, is the very thing that God has chosen to work through to accomplish his glory. And lastly, what awaits us as God's people is, is the glory of eternity that is coming. And when, when you keep all of them in perspective, it will change the way you live today. I'll never forget, and this goes back, oh man, this probably goes back 30 years. Yeah, about 30 years. I, um, I was a junior high youth pastor, and I had a young boy in the, youth group whose name was Troy, and he, he, he actually, he and his family currently are missionaries in, in South Africa, but 12 years old, and we would meet together periodically, and, and, and um, uh, actually quite a bit over a period of a year, and, and he, it, it was really hard for him for a whole host of reasons, just a sweet, godly young man, and I remember asking him one time, this is a 12-year-old. I said, Troy, what is it that keeps you going? And he said, I mean, here he is. He's 12 years old. He said, I focus on what is eternal. I mean, can you imagine that from a 12-year-old? A 12-year-old? And I remember as a youth pastor, when I heard that, my jaw almost dropped because I was going like, well, uh, that, that's good, Troy. <laughs> but he had it, didn't he? He had it as a 12-year-old. We need to remember that too. What will keep you from giving up but going on? This message, folks, is unchanging. 
And the very thing that you say, oh, I'm, I'm weak and I, I, that's where God wants to work through you. That's the whole point. You're right where God needs you so he can show his power and he can take glory through you in the lives of others. And thirdly, just remember, what awaits you in glory far outweighs anything that you're experiencing now. We, um, we are told that Winston Churchill in 1941, in the throes of war, visited the Harrow School and gave an address. And it was one of the shortest addresses he ever gave. And in that address, this was the bulk of what he said. He said, never give in. Never, never, never give in. Christians, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, forgiven Christ followers, never, never, never give in. Because we have God's glorious message we know his plan of working through us, and we are assured of the future that awaits us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the life of Paul would be a great encouragement to each one of us. It is so easy, Lord, for us to become distracted, to become discouraged, despondent, to fall into despair. And in the process, we allow the enemy of our soul to convince us to pull back and do nothing. Father, enliven our souls. Move through your spirit so that we would be men and women who know you, who with great passion Go on in our Christian life. Promote you and your glory and, 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 and seek to reach out to others because of the message we have. Because all we have to be is willing weaklings, Lord. If we're willing and we're weak, that's all you ask. And to be assured in the process of the glories of heaven and the wonders of the new heaven and the new earth. So, Father, encourage your saints, we would pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, we want to do something just a little different today, which is have communion in this fashion, which is a little bit unusual. So, I'm going to walk us through taking the elements together. So, you might want to get your elements now, um, if you have them handy I'm just going to walk through with you what Christ has done for us. Uh, and then we'll take the elements and then we're going to have a final song together. And so we hope that you'll join in and sing with us for that final song. So I couldn't help but think that tomorrow is Memorial Day. And what do we do on Memorial Day? We, we, we are thankful for our veterans. That's, that's true. But we specifically want to remember 
those that have died in battle that you and I could be free. That's tomorrow. That's, that's what we celebrate. So it seemed to be a fitting day for us today, the day before Memorial Day, for us to have Memorial Day, if you will. But we have Memorial Day on a very regular basis. We call it communion. So we have a cup and we have bread. And we don't do communion because we think there's anything magical here. Like when I bite this, nothing like that. But it's a very powerful memorial through which God works. And so when we talk about the breaking of the bread and, and, and taking of the cup, we're going to find out that the bread represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And so in the first century, they would break the bread and share it. And in breaking it, they remembered the broken body of Christ and his death for us on the cross. And when they took the cup, they would think about his blood that was shed for us on the cross of Calvary. So there's nothing magical in this particular cup. But to remember afresh becomes God's platform through which he enriches our soul and transforms us by his spirit as he reminds us of the wonders of the cross. So I want to read to you that very, very familiar text over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul says this. So if you have your elements, you might want to grab them now. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're one of his. Would you share with me in remembering his broken body for us? Continuing then, Paul says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Let us drink and reflect afresh on the wonders of the cross in his death. Father, may communion never become something that's merely ritual for us. Merely something we have to do. Father, may it be something that we get to do. May it be an opportunity for us to take time and reflect on the wonders of the cross, our great memorial day, Lord, that you have come and you died for us, 
and then victoriously came out of that grave so that we could be forgiven and would no longer ultimately have to fear death. Father, may we proclaim it with our words. May we proclaim it with our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love, never winged down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree. As grace flows down and covers me. Amazing. Sweet the sound, amazing love, never weighing down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree as grace flows down and covers me. It covers.
Yes, Lord, we thank you this morning that your grace covers us. We thank you that we are freed from our sins and our bondage because of what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you that this morning we can participate in communion as a reminder of those things, how your body was broken and your blood was shed for us. Lord, as we go into this week, may we be keenly and acutely aware of your presence in our lives, constantly upholding and moving us to become more like Jesus. We thank you for this time. We can be together even distantly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.